All right, good morning. Good to see all of you here today. Thank you. Thank you for uh, choosing to worship with us this morning. We are going to be in Malachi chapter 1. That is the last book of the Old Testament. It's the, 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 the last word before 400 years of silence, and then Jesus uh, enters the scene. And so we're going to look at, continue our series, Prophetic Words. We've looked at the book of Habakkuk. Now we're going to uh, dive into uh, Malachi for the next couple of weeks Just as you uh, think forward, after Malachi, three weeks of Malachi, we're we're going to be uh, doing a three-week series uh, called You Ask For It. And you may remember back in Easter, we asked you to submit questions uh, that you just have, that you want to dive into in the context of the scripture. So we got like a hundred of those things, but we're going to pick three and jump into those. And then uh, we'll be starting the book of Romans in the fall, and we're going to take a sort of a slow walk through uh, the book of Romans, really, really profound for our our day. So, but today, Malachi uh, chapter one, I want to talk about the, the idea or the feeling that we have that sometimes God's love is questionable. We might know in our head that it's it's not questionable, that God loves us, but sometimes we feel like it's questionable, and that's where Malachi 1 sort of starts today. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read Malachi chapter 1, 1 to uh, 14, which is all of the first chapter. And uh, at the same time, I want to welcome back our high school students who just came back from serving in the Boston area and all of their weary sponsors. I see some of you that look exhausted, sat on the back row so you can put your head on the wall. I, I, I see you. I got you. Uh, but I'm so thankful uh, for our partnerships in the Northeast and how God continues to use those. So thank you for how you serve. Malachi chapter 1, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have Jacob, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shadowed, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I say I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. 
For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what, is, what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as an offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. You could be seated. Now, before you say, this doesn't apply to me because I don't have a blind animal that I bought and brought for sacrifice today, uh, actually, the book of Malachi, this prophetic word given to the people of Israel is, is very practical to our day, very profound, uh, and speaks directly to us. In that particular day, in that context, Malachi is speaking to the heart of a troubled people whose circumstances of financial insecurity, religious skepticism, and personal disappointments are similar to those that God's people often face today. So their culture was a little bit different, their context was a little bit different, but God is the same. And so we need to learn uh, from Malachi and what he was saying. As I said earlier, this is the last sort of word before 400 years of prophetic silence. So there's a gap of 400 years between Malachi and the, and the Gospels, Matthew. Uh, a lot of things happen in history during that time. Maybe sometime we'll talk about it. But this is the last thing that we get from the Lord before John the Baptist enters the scene and introduces Jesus, the Son of God. Right? So these are important important words. And I want to begin like this, that God's love for his covenant people is proven. God's love for his covenant people is proven. So he says this in Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, I have loved you, uh, says the Lord. And that is also true for you. If you want to fast forward to the New Testament, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He has loved you. You live according to a new covenant, this side of the cross, a new covenant offered in blood. But you are are his covenant people, like Israel is his covenant people. Now, how? They they are thinking to themselves in the midst of this this difficulty that they find themselves in. How, How have you... How have you loved us? They've gone through a lot. In fact, uh, they look back at the book of Deuteronomy and they think about all the ways that God said he's going to bless them. And in Malachi, they're thinking, I don't really feel it. I don't think you're living up there. It's not saying it like this, but the priests are half-hearted and the people are half-hearted and they're asking these questions that are like, I don't know, how have you loved us? Have you ever felt like that, by the way, just been in the middle of a circumstance or situation, and you forget all the other stuff God's ever done in your life in the, in the moment, and you just wonder, like, does he really love me? Does he really love us? This is where they find themselves. God, 
God's love for his covenant people is proven, though, and we see that in the context of Scripture, simply as he brings them out of Egypt, out of 400 years of captivity, as he raises up Moses to go and get them and bring them out, as he sustains them and provides them for them in 40 years in the wilderness, where it says that there was no water, but he gave them water from a rock. There was no food, but he gave them manna from heaven. At the end of that 40 years, he brought them into the promised land that he had promised for decades. It was only their sin that kept them them out of the promised land that long. And when he brought them in, he gave them houses they didn't build, vines they didn't plant. They lived in the land of plenty, this promised land, uh, because he had promised it to, to them. He was with them through the wilderness into the promised land. And not only that, he says of the people of Israel, those covenant people, that the Messiah, the very Savior of the world, will come from you like I promised Abraham. Right? So he is saying to them, look, I have uh, loved you. What we know in the context of Scripture is that God's love is a steadfast love. It's not circumstantial. It's not based on how things are going. It's, it's, it's steadfast. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 is one of my favorite verses in the scripture. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Maybe the New Testament counterpart to that for us in Romans chapter 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knew the extent of my sin. He knew that I would continue sinning. He knew that I was a sinner and he died for us, this perfect sacrifice. This is the best example of his steadfast love in all of history. So God's love for his covenant people is proven. But the second thing that we have to come to grips with is that sometimes the people of God become cynical, apathetic, and sinful in spite of his love, right? Now, just soak in that for a moment. Sometimes the people of God become cynical, apathetic, and sinful in spite of his love, right? It's demonstrated. It's there, we know about it. Same thing with the people that were hearing this oracle uh, from Malachi. I mean, in this moment, they just don't perceive that God is living up to all of his promises in the way they want, in the timely fashion that they want. Have you ever wanted God to work the way you want in your time frame? Come on. You do, because we want to be God. We want to control everything. We want God to be the person that comes to our rescue in just the, t- the time that we need it, that offers blessing in just the time that we want it. But God, God's ways are higher than our ways. He works in different ways than our little finite human brains could ever uh, imagine. Uh, and this is what they were going through. There are, in the context of Malachi, we'll see four of them today, there are, there are eight but you say statements. But you say, right? Just, just underline them as we go through here. We'll get four of them right now. There are eight but you say phrases in the book of Malachi. 
Um, and and it, it, it just, it just, these phrases just show the depth of the cynicism, of the apathy, of the sinful nature. So the first one is Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. God says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, here's the first one, but you say, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? Well, that's cynical for a people who live in, in a land that they did not cultivate. That's cynical for people who have uh, experienced the fullness of his promises at that point to them as a covenant people, looking forward to the day that that Messiah will come from them, which is what comes next in the context of the, the scripture. It's apathetic. It's, it's, it's forgetting who God is and what he's done. It's, it's not remembering. It's only like sitting in the, the ashes of our circumstance and and then becoming, becoming sinful because we feel like we need to rebel against God for some particular reason because he hasn't been good enough to us. How have you loved us? And, and God describes this. He uses one illustration. Ha, have you heard about Esau, Jacob's brother? Now, you, you may remember or not remember this particular story, but to make a long story short, Esau should have gotten the birthright. And, and according to the genealogy of things, the lineage of things, he should have gotten the birthright, and, and, and consequently, the people of Israel should have come from him. But in God's sovereignty, he chose the younger Jacob in order to bring about the covenant people in a crazy battle over stew. You have to go read it. And it's tricky mom. He was tricky. So he blesses Jacob. But Esau, it says, Esau, I've hated. Now, let me show you. You live in the promised land. You, the, the people of Jacob live in the promised land. They, they have houses they haven't built, vines they haven't planted. They have the, the seven species of the land. But go over there to Edom, where Esau's from. That is, that is barren wasteland. And there's a highway over there that's fought over all the time, and they get destroyed all the time. And when they get destroyed, they say, we will rebuild. And I just wait for them to rebuild, and then we destroy them again. But you, the covenant people of God, like you're living in promise. You have favor. Have you forgotten about Esau? Just look over there to Edom. And you will see that God is a God beyond the borders of Israel. And he has shown you favor, promise as his covenant people. But you're asking, but you say, how have you loved us? Second, but you say, statement, Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. God says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. That's just a given. If then I'm a father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. So what you're gonna notice is that this dialogue for the most part until verse 14 is geared directly at the priests, the leaders of the people who are to intercede and point them to God. For the sake of theology, you have one high priest. 
I'm not him. You understand that, right? Don't come to me to intercede for you. Go to Jesus. You have one great high priest. The whole book of Hebrews is about it. But in this time, in the book of Malachi, there were people from the line of Aaron who were called to be the the priest to intercede on the behalf of people, and they just weren't doing what God told them to do. He said, it says in verse 6, and if I'm a master, where's my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priest, who despise my name. So these are the priests of God. In this moment, they despise the name of God. Here's the second, but you say. But you say, how have we despised your name? Come on. After all we do for you, wear these clothes, kill these animals, deal with these people all the time, always incense, always sacrifice. After all we do for you, how, how have we despised your name? Well, the Lord's charge is clear. Like, even a son honors his father, even a A servant honors his master. Where's your honor of me? You bring polluted food to my altar, defiled things. Now, the Torah is very clear about what you can bring and what must not be brought to the altar of God for sacrifice. You bring defiled things. You don't honor me. And verse 7 gives us our our, our third but you say statement, but, offer, but by offering polluted food upon my altar, but you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table is despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Give that to your governor. Will he accept that or show you favor? Just the governor. Now, here's the deal. In the context of the Torah, when you bring sacrifice to God, it's to be the first of your flocks. It's supposed to be unblemished. So you're supposed to look through your flock and find the best male lamb unblemished and bring that to the Lord for sacrifice. But what's happening is people are like, oh, I need that one because I want to breed more like that. So, But this one, he's a runt or he's blind or he's diseased. I'll take that. It's going to burn on the altar of the Lord anyway. I'll give it to the priest, and the priest will, will do that on my, on my behalf. The priest should be going, nope, take that one home. It's, uh, it's blemished. It's not clean. Come back when you have the right sacrifice. Okay? But he's not. He's receiving that, and he's giving that, that blemished sacrifice even when the Torah is very clear. Now, just, just fast forward 400 years and a little bit. When God gives sacrifice on behalf of the people for his glory to appease wrath, to atone for sin, he gives his son, his only son, the one who he loves, who is unblemished, who he's never sinned. All of this sacrificial system is leading up, is pointing the people to that moment that will come when Jesus will be crucified and raised from the dead. It's, it's pointing them to the unblemished lamb 
of God. So when they bring half-heartedly junk to the Lord for, for, for sacrifice and worship, he refuses it. He rejects it, and he says, you despise my name. And they're like, how have you, have you loved us? How have we despised your name? How have, you, have we polluted you? At the same time, though, they bring blind animals for sacrifice. They ask the Lord for favor. Have you ever been there? Like, I know, I know. We'll just call it a blind lamb, but whatever you want to call it. I know I got a lot of blind lambs, but could you just bless me anyway? Could you just bless me anyway? I've got this plan. I really need this thing to work out. So could you just like wave your magic, whatever? People are like that in America. Maybe everywhere, but definitely in America. He says, I have no pleasure in you. I will not accept your, I will not show you favor. God's response is not easy, but it, it does clarify his person and his power. Malachi chapter uh, 1, 11 and 12, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, among the people groups. That's, that's way beyond the borders of Israel, way beyond the people of Israel. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. Look, he's, he's telling his people, he's reminding them, do not forget who you worship. You must have forgotten. Bringing this stuff, you must have forgotten. Giving me the worst, do not forget who you worship. And that brings us to our, our fourth, but, but you say, statement. Malachi chapter one, verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is. I mean, if you look at that original words, like, they're not just like tired. They're saying, what a burden it is to be your kid. What a toil it is to do things the way you want them done. How have you loved us? How have we polluted you? How have we despised you? You're a burden. You ever felt like that? Just that God and his way, you just want to do it your way? And God and his way is just a burden. It's interesting because Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what's a burden? Fighting with God. You know what's a burden? Walking in some other way other than what the designer, creator of the universe, God himself said to walk. You know what's bondage? embracing all the rebellion of the enemy instead of walking in the way of Jesus. That's all, that's burdensome. Jesus is freeing. Let's see. But they're like, this is so hard. This is so toilsome. This is so tiring. It says in the text that they snort at God. It's like they sniff in contempt like this, this day. And I'll, I'll never forget, like I was, 
way up on the border of Lebanon and working with these Syrians. And this guy looked at me and went, like that. I knew what he meant. (laughs) (laughs) And we sniff at God. Sniff at God. Snort at God. It's the same thing. You ever been there? God's response to that is not easy, but also clarifying of his person and power. Malachi chapter 1, verse 14. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. The problem with the covenant people of God who know him and know what they're supposed to do and say, I've got this unblemished male lamb, but I'm going to give him this blind one or this diseased one instead, is because they do despise God. They want their own way instead of the way of God. They don't worship God like God says he ought to be worshiped. Do you know, we go on a lot of mission trips, and I'm grateful for each and every one of them, but do you know why why churches go on mission trips? It's because it's not it's not just because you, you, you're going on a mission trip somewhere to some people or whatever. It's because there is an absence of worship in that place among those people. A total absence of worship. They don't either, they don't know God or they know God, but they don't worship God. Do you know the goal of the church is not mission? The goal of the church is worship. The goal of the people of God is worship, to glorify him. It's worship. Not just what we do in here on a Sunday morning, but the, the a whole of our lives our, with our head, our heart, our hands, and our, our feet, with all of our stuff, with, with every bit of who we are, the goal of the Christian life is worship. Say this with me. It's not about me. One, two, three. It's not about me. It's all about him. Say that with me. One, two, three. It's all about him. And that is the gist of this passage of scripture. God is saying to his people, like, you've forgotten me and you've made it all about you. You've forgotten me and made it all about you. But I'm going to remember you because I'm gonna re- you're going to remember me because I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. This is the beginning of Malachi. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. It's often in that, that cursing like this in the Old Testament that we see the people turn back to God. Right? So they go, okay, if you won't do it my way, then there will be pressure. There will be pressure from other people from circumstances, from famine, from wars, until you turn back to me. This is what they're facing in Malachi. So you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm not glad I'm not them. (laughs) How do such prophetic words apply to us today? Um, It's pretty simple, really. We also, as a people of the risen king, the new covenant, The covenant people of God living in an age of grace, we also become sinful, apathetic 
and cynical in spite of God's demonstrated love. How many of you know Jesus died on a cross to save you from your sins? You do. It's, a good, it's good news, right? But how many of you also become apathetic, sinful, and cynical from time to time? Maybe you've lived your life like in a long trajectory of that. <laughs> I know he died on a cross. I like Jesus, but... How do such prophetic words apply to us? Well, every time it's so tempting to ask, like, how have you loved me? We need to think of Malachi 1. When we perceive that God is not working our way on our timetable, we need to consider Malachi chapter 1. When the Holy Spirit convicts us related to obedience and sacrifice, it's so tempting to harbor the age-old attitude like, how have I despised your name? I mean, I'm mostly good. I'm pretty moral. Compared to everybody else? How have I despised your name or disobeyed? We need to remember Malachi chapter 1. When we hear God's call to obedience... It's easy to apathetically respond, this is hard. This is burdensome. This is tiring. It's easy to walk away, snort at God. Or maybe just give him the Syrian. Also, if they do this, You're a dead man. (laughs) I find that Malachi chapter 1 applies to me way too much. At first glance, you want to say, well, good. I'm glad I don't live under the sacrificial system. I don't... I I don't have to worry about all those kinds of things, but it's always been about the heart with God. It's never been about that particular lamb. And when he looks at our heart, does he see someone who loves them, him, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, or not? And does that depend on circumstances? It's a hard thing sometimes. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, to the, the church at Rome. I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we're not bringing lambs anymore. People ask, why do we not have the sacrificial system anymore? A couple reasons for that. Number one and most profound, Jesus is the once and for all, all time, Passover lamb. He's taken the weight of sin. He's atoned for sin. We don't need any more sacrifices up there. Second reason, more pragmatic, there's no temple up there, no altar up there to offer sacrifices. They can't. It's dead, the sacrificial system. Why? Because Jesus is ultimately the sacrifice. Now, What about you? Well, Paul says that you need to be living sacrifices. Like, forget forget the lamb. You just crawl up on the altar. And you say, well, I'm blemished. 
How many would say, I'm the blind lamb? I'll raise my hand for all of you and for me. Here's the gospel. When Jesus died on a cross to save us from our sins, and he rose again on the third day, what the scripture teaches us is that he gave us a completely new identity. When we believed in him, it says that he clothed us in righteousness. Now, I couldn't make those clothes. If I'm, up, if I'm making the clothes that I'm going to wear, they're not going to be righteous clothes. But Jesus, because of his perfect life, because he was the unblemished sacrificial lamb, because he defeated death and rose again and appeased the wrath of God, for everyone who, believe, who believes, he clothes them in righteousness. And now, through Jesus, the Father looks at you, his covenant people, as unblemished. Can you even believe that? You know this week. That's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying to the church at Rome, hey, understand, you've been clothed in righteousness. Now you're an unblemished daily sacrifice. You crawl up on the altar and die every day. This is the invitation. Be a living sacrifice. So that means, that, 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 that has profound implications for us because Now we're not choosing a blind lamb, but I'm just deciding, am I going to be a living sacrifice today or not? Remember Malachi 1, 14, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. It is feared among the nations. He is a great king. He's taken such interest in you that you have access to the gospel that you've been, you've heard that many of you have believed and received the grace that comes through Jesus and now now the question is, will I become this uh, living sacrifice? No matter my situation or my circumstance, What about when you're having to wait and it feels like God is not working? Be patient. Wait. And daily be a living sacrifice. Like, don't forget. Remember God's proven love to you. You ever gone through an exercise in your life where you just look back and you think, okay, I know I've been through a lot of tough stuff in my life, difficulty in my life, whatever. Where has God shown up in my life? But go back and remember all the different ways. Write it down. You'll be astonished and amazed at his goodness to you. It's just so, so much we focus on the, the difficulty. Be disciplined. Not only be patient, but be disciplined. When you feel like God's not working on your timetable, when you wonder if his love is real and and you're questioning it, be disciplined. Be disciplined to hear God, to be in his word, to listen to what he has to say, to walk in it. Be obedient. Even when things aren't going the way that you think they should go. Be obedient. And trust in his steadfast love. 
I mean, trust him deeply. If you just did a study of how many times the steadfast love of the Lord is mentioned through the scripture, your mind would be blown. Probably one of the most repeated phrases in all of scripture. Because he loves you. And he means it. And he's done his part to demonstrate it and show it. And he still has more promise to fulfill. And he will. Because he's a great king. You ever wondered what Lord of hosts means? That word hosts, we, we might, it might be easier for us to understand the word hordes, like hordes of people. I mean, you, you think about Lord of hosts, you think about Let's, let's say the planet is 10,000 years old. Maybe it's older. Maybe some of you are like 4 million people. I personally can go either way. You know why? Because I'm not the creator. He's the creator. He knows when, where, how, all that. But let's say it's 10,000 years old. And we have generation after generation after generation for 10,000 years. How many people is that? That's a lot of people. And when you think about that many people that God created, that he is Lord over, do you know that he is Lord over you even if you don't believe Jesus is Lord? He's the Lord of hosts. He's Lord over everything in heaven and everything on earth. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the great king. We have to remember who we approach. One thing I love in uh, Judaism is pretty good about that, even though in their, in their, in their, in their um, antiquity, even though they're constantly forgetting, and we see that in the context of our scripture. But in a, a Torah closet, which contains the scroll and just the normal synagogue in the first or second century, second century, you'd see this phrase, the lifne meyata omed, which means uh, know before whom you stand. So you read, before you open the the, the Torah closet, you read, you remember like, okay, this is the words of the king of kings, the Lord of hosts. And I just think as I read Malachi chapter one, and, and I think, well, sometimes God's love feels questionable. I have to remember who I stand before. And you do too. So, When God's love is questionable, Paul's answer is, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And that's what he's calling us to today. There is a a big difference between the modern understanding of the word Christian and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, come follow me. Yep, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But he says, this is how you'll follow me. Take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. Paul says, be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. So look at your two hands. This is the last thing we'll do. Look at your two hands, go like this. These things that God gave you, use them 
for his glory and for his purposes, even when you feel like he's not at work. Because the reality is, when you use these two things for his glory and his purposes, even though you're wondering, what's he doing? He's working through you. He's working through you as a living sacrifice. So you bow your head and close your eyes. Just ask the Lord to speak to you. Father, we come in this moment as a people who are aware because we have this prophetic oracle from Malachi in a book that we can read today. We're aware of who you are and who we are. Father, help us to be people that aren't half-hearted, but that give you our whole heart, our whole mind. Help us to be living sacrifices, Father. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Thank you that you've clothed us in righteousness, that you've made us unblemished, something that we could not do for ourselves. And Father, even even as your people questioned you in, in Malachi, sometimes we question you that way. Father, help us to, to, to heed the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit and walk in a new way. Father, for people who are here that have heard this preaching today, either online or right here in the room or, or watch it on video someday, God, I pray that you would speak to them if they're far from you and draw them by your Spirit to, to yourself. God, allow people to know that they can come to you blemished, full of sin, and as they believe in you and put their faith in you for salvation, for forgiveness, that you will forgive them and make them unblemished. God, draw people to salvation, even this moment. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.